Chapter 2, please. 1 Samuel 2. You were in verse 35 a moment ago. And let's go back, please, a few verses here. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and look at verse 27, if you would, please. Before we do, I'll ask the Lord's Lord to bless one more time. Lord, we need you, God, please. Your purpose, your plan today, Lord, may we follow that. May we not alter from that. Lord God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would direct me as you see fit. God, this is the message for the hour that you have given me, and I pray, God, please, that you would preach it. Lord, your word and your spirit would be heard this morning, please. Thank you, Lord, and we trust you now. We give you now this time in your precious name. Amen. 1 Samuel 2.27, the Bible says, And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father? When they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Now let's stop there just for a moment. Let's think about what's going on here. A man of God. Some prophet that God did not mention here by name has come to Eli. Now, who was Eli? Eli was the high priest at this time. He is the the top. He is the, the spiritual leadership, that high priest of this time in God's house. We, what he's saying here is God has sent this prophet to Eli to say, Did I not choose your family on purpose? Did I not choose the house of Aaron and the house of Levi, which Aaron was in, to do the work of my house? We know the Levites would care for the work of the tabernacle there. This was before the days of the temple. This was the tent that they traveled around with in the wilderness that eventually would take, would be planted at Shiloh there in the promised land, but it was still a tent. It was the tabernacle. And God saying here to Eli, he said, did I not choose the Levites? Okay, Moses and Aaron were of the tribe of Levi. Aaron was chosen to be the high priest and his descendants would then be the priests for God. And he said, did I not choose you on purpose? Did I not tell you that you would be in my house and you would uh, help and, and do these things? And, and, uh, and that's what he's saying to, to Eli. He's calling him out. That's really what he's doing. He's coming right to the preacher this morning. Okay, He's coming right here and he's saying, aren't you the man of God that I've chosen? All right, the, the, if, I, if I take application in this text, God's preaching at the pastor right now. Is, are you not the one I've chosen? And look what he says here. Verse number 29. Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. What's going on here? He, said, he says, 
you're kicking at my offering. Now I worked up, I looked up that, that word cause I just didn't, I couldn't envision, uh, Eli coming out and literally kicking an offering. So I looked up that word and the Hebrew word there, it says kick and we can, we can, that's a very, our English word, we can understand the meaning here. The Hebrew word can either mean to trample physically or figuratively to despise. And so he's asking, he's asking Eli, why are you trampling? In other words, when we look at the context here, why are you despising my offering in my house? Why are you treating what I've, what I've told my people to do like this? Why are you despising it? It would be as if I, your pastor this morning, would, would despise the fact that you've come to worship the Lord today. To, that you've come to hear from the Word of God today. That you've come to worship Him even in your giving today. And I would mock that and laugh at that or, or treat it wrong or treat you wrong in that process. Despising what God was doing in this place. And that's what he's saying to him. He also says that you've honored your sons above me. What does that mean? In other words, you've done what your sons wanted above what I've wanted. You've put your sons at a higher place than you've put me. And you're doing what they want and not what I want. That's what he's saying to Eli. Now we, we know, if many of you Bible students in here, and you've read this passage, you know that the sons of Eli were wicked men. The Bible says here earlier in the chapter that they knew not the Lord. They were priests, so-called men of God, that were all fake. They were all on the outside. It was nothing on the inside. They were dead on the inside, going through the motions in the tabernacle. It's a crazy thing to think about. But in pulpits today in America, there are unsaved men trying to teach and preach the Bible and they're doing it in such a way that it's a fleshly manner because unsaved people lack the Spirit of God and they're not doing it in God's power. They're doing it in their flesh. And that's what he's saying here about Eli's sons is they knew not God and they did wickedness. Now, when he's, when he's talking in verse 29, he says, he says, uh, honors thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel. The chiefest obviously can mean first place or, or the best. And uh, what happened was, and we read earlier in chapter 2, that as people came to give their sacrifices in the tabernacle, that, that the, the animal that was sacrificed would be burning in the fire and the fat would then be burnt off and, and separated from, from the meat. And uh, after, after the fat was gone the priest or his servant could come in with a flesh hook, literally like a giant fork with prongs there, and, and slap it in the pan and tear away from it. And whatever was on that flesh hook, the priest could then eat himself and for his family. That was what, that was, what the, the, uh, was happening in this day and age. And so what we find out is, is not only are they doing that, but they're getting fat off of that. And if you, if you read several of these chapters here, you'll find out 
that the sons of Eli, instead of waiting for the fat to be cooked out, they were coming in first thing and they were taking that raw flesh, that, that, that flesh hook in that raw flesh and they were getting all of it and whatever they wanted. And the Bible says that if people did not respond well to that, if they didn't like that, they would then take it by force. Can you imagine that? Spiritual leadership, or so-called spiritual leadership, doing against the commandment of God, and if people didn't agree with it, they would do it by force. That certainly is a flesh right there, is it not? When we can't get people to line up with our opinions and our way, we're going to take some violence. We're going to, we're going to res, uh, uh, result to violence. That's flesh right there. That's what that is. Unfortunately, we're seeing that in America today, aren't we? When people don't follow my way and my plan and my opinion, I don't have anything to stand on. I might not even have the Constitution of America to stand on, but this is the way it is. And if you don't line up with me, I'm going to get violent with you. Shame on Americans. We're thinking that way. That was free. Let's get back to the message. Amen. And so verse 30 says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me. For them that honor me I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the, the days come that, that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there shall not be an old man in thine house. Verse 32. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, in all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine whom I shall not cut off from mine Altar shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart. And all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. And one day, in one day they shall die, both of them. So what God's saying here to Eli is, you've, you've not done well. You've done wrong. You've honored your sons over me. You've kicked at my sacrifice. You've despised what I asked for to be done in my house. And so now, because you have not been a faithful priest, I will remove your line from being the high priest. That's what he's saying to Eli. He said, I'm going to honor those who honor me. I'm going to not honor those that, not, that do not honor me. That's what he's saying here. So then we get to the text that Brother Williams started us with, verse 35. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. The question is here, is he talking about Samuel? We know that Samuel's about to become the high priest here real soon. Is he talking about Samuel or is he talking about the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe there's application for both. But if you look at the text here, he says, I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. 
That word mine anointed is, is the same as the Messiah there. It's the, it's, the, it's the consecrated one. It's the holy one. It's the Messiah. So whether that's Jesus Christ riding, uh, walking before God the Father, or whether that is Samuel walking before the Lord Jesus Christ, either way we can make application there. But my attention, or the attention I'm asking you to draw into today is that verse. God uses two words here that sometimes we can easily we can easily use both to mean the same thing mind and heart sometimes we in in our talking in our conversations with people we might use those words interchangeably to mean the same thing look again what he says and i will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind Why did he use both these words? In our English, there's two different words here. In the Hebrew, there's two different words here. Did he use that to reemphasize something or did he use that for a specific purpose? And I know that my Bible teaches that that all all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. There's not a word on accident. And so I have to ask myself, did he mean something different between mind and mind? And heart when he mentions it here in the scripture. Because he wants to raise up a priest that will do according to what's in his mind and in his heart. Is that two different things? What does that mean? So as I began to look at these words, I looked at the Hebrew here and trying to understand. A lot of times the Hebrew can give us a more specific, um, uh, specific definition. A lot of times. You know our English language is very broad. Okay? I can, I can tell anyone in here that I love you, but I can also say that to my wife. And I sure hope you understand that I don't love you the same way I love my wife. Why? Because the English language is very broad. Sometimes the Hebrew and sometimes the Greek in the New Testament can, can be a little bit more specific and help us to understand even more. And so as I was looking at these words here, I'm going to start with the word mind for a moment. And uh, the word mind here, I didn't write down the specific word that it was, but I was looking at the definition. And the idea of what the word is teaching here is that that what is, what is necessary and what is expected. Say, so how did you come to that conclusion? Because the root for this word mind in the Hebrew means to breathe. Okay. And, and as I'm looking at the definition, it means to breathe as a, as a purpose of survival. How many of you got up this morning and were thinking about breathing? I didn't. It was what was expected. It's a necessary thing for me to survive is to breathe. Yes? Yes, it's necessary. I do it... Uh, all, uh, Every day. And I was expecting to wake up. The only time I think about my breathing is when I have trouble with it. And the same for you. And some of you might be going through some patterns of, of health that where maybe you struggle with that a little bit. And you think about it a whole lot more than I think about it. But the, the, most of us this morning did not think about breathing. It was what was expected. It was what was natural, what was necessary for me to live. And so, as I consider that meaning of that word this morning, I wonder here, 
What, when God says, I want to raise up a faithful priest to do what's in my mind, or what is expected, or what is necessary, what did the Jews have for a priest? How would the priest know what was expected and what was necessary out of them and their office? What did God give to them? How would they know what was expected? Perhaps the law. You with me? Perhaps the law. On Mount Sinai, Moses was given the the law. Uh, The end of the book of Exodus, all of the book of Leviticus, God gave to Moses to write down to give to the Israelites so they they knew what his word was, what his law was. Yes? And he's saying to to, uh, Eli, I'm going to raise up a priest that's going to do right before me. Amen? There's a lot of people that preach behind pulpits. There's a lot of people that are in positions, that are in places of authority spiritually that aren't doing right. Why? Because we're sinners. And it is my responsibility to stay right before God regularly. Yes? Why? Because i got to come up here as a clean vessel to preach the Word of God. And to have the power of God about me as I preach. And I'm not going to do that when I'm in my flesh and doing wrong and doing things the way I think. No, I've got to have the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God using me to do such. Yes? I need to know what is expected, what is right. And so did the priest. He needed to know the word, the law. To know what is expected, what is right. It's amazing to me today how Christians have trouble doing what is right. I mean, I'm talking about the truth of the Word of God, what God said, do this or don't do that. And how so often Christians today, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church members. I'm talking about visitors, members, whoever, family members. We call ourselves Christians. Praise God for that. We say that we follow the Word of God But yet, as soon as nobody's looking, all of a sudden we let this vile, wicked heart do whatever it wants. Don't we? All of a sudden the devil comes to tempting because he knows where we're weak. And we stop being people that we say we are in church on Sunday morning. And we we start being wicked, vile, like heathen in the heart. I was considering preaching a message about that. It was a second half. Remember last week we were talking about Jeremiah preaching in the temple gate. And uh, as he, I, I preached out of, I believe, Jeremiah 8 last week about uh, how there's no balm. Is there no balm in Gilead? Well, if you keep reading that message as he gets in towards chapter 9 and then into towards chapter 10, he says, you're like heathen in the heart. He says, my people are acting like heathens in the heart. In other words... The outside, when you come to church, looks great. But in your heart, you act like you're not even saved. And God didn't have me preach that message today, but He is having me preach this one. It's still the spirit of revival. And God has been stirring me with this, this whole thought, this whole spirit of revival lately. I've preached now, uh, this will be the third Sunday morning on this idea of revival. 
And then here's the thing is, I want to know the heart of God, and we haven't even got that far yet, but I got to make sure I'm doing what's in the mind of God first. I got to do what's right. Amen? I got to do what's right first. What is, what is appropriate, what is holy, what, it, what the Word of God is teaching me that I ought to do. So then we get to that word heart. And I believe you know where, where it's headed here. The word heart here, it's the, it's the idea of the feelings, the desires. That's, we, we know when we're talking about our heart, it's the seed of our emotions. We're talking about emotions, desire. And so God is saying here, when, he, when He's preaching to Eli, He says, I want to raise up a priest that will not only do what's in my mind, but do what's in my heart. What we're talking about, here it is now. Come on, church. We're not talking about following the letter of the law. And, and yes, we've got to do the things that are right and appropriate. But by going beyond that and saying, God, teach me what pleases you. Teach me what you want for my life. And may I be faithful to not only do what's expected as a Christian, or in this case, expected as a priest in Old Testament Israel, but let me do beyond that. Let me do what is pleasing and what my God wants of me. There's a, there's a growth process in a, with Christians, and we understand that as, uh, as we, we get saved, we, we, we then, if you look at the growth chart, I believe it's in 2 Peter, and I might be mistaken there. It's either 2 Peter 1 or it could be 1 Peter 1, but there's a growth chart there for a Christian. And he says, add to your faith, and then he lists several things. It's a literal a, a growth chart that we ought to look at and see where we are. And the first thing you add to your faith is virtue. You know what virtue is? It's character. It's character. It's not doing whatever I think and whatever I feel like. It's doing what's right. The first thing I'm supposed to add to my faith once I get saved, you know, I'm supposed to start doing is start being a person of character. But God says, I don't want you to stay right there. I want you to keep growing. And you look at that growth chart. There's a lots, there's lots on that growth chart. But he says, I want you to move past just paying attention to every little thing right here. And I want you to start having a life that pleases your God. Now, don't just do what's in my mind, what's expected of you, but do what's in my heart, what I want of you, what I desire out of you. And he's talking about an Old Testament priest here. Now, church family, quickly this morning, help me here. Think about what a priest is. We can make great application because what is a priest? A priest is somebody who comes to God on the behalf of somebody else. Yes? That's what a priest is. Old Testament priesthood was a picture of Jesus Christ to come. Yeah, because he intercedes to the Father on behalf of us, yes. But in the New Testament, especially in 1 Peter, it teaches us 
And we believe this. This is a foundation of who we are. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. That if you're saved, you are a priest before God. Jesus Christ is our high priest, but you are a priest before God. That means you have the ability to come in openly to the throne of God and ask for help in time of need. Amen? That the walkers this morning are having a little trouble and we can come openly to God and we can pray over that thing and we can say, Lord, meet their need and use our church to help in the process. Because when Jesus died on the cross and that curtain was split in two and the Holy of Holies was then open to mankind, we have access to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's been paid for. He sprinkled his blood upon the mercy seat. And God looks at me because I'm saved white as snow. That I'm holy and I'm pure before him because Jesus paid the price and his blood was applied to my account. And because of that, he says, I'm a priest before him. So if God wants to raise up a faithful priest to do what's in his mind and in his heart... You know who that's talking about this morning? Me. He wants me in New Testament time to be somebody that does what's in his mind and what's in his heart. I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm challenging me. This message is for me this morning too. All, I mean, God preaches at me. As, as he's developing these messages. And i gotta, I got to spend time weeping and, and confessing sin and doing things in my heart before I ever get up in this pulpit because he expects me to do everything that I'm preaching this morning. But it's not just for one person. It's for all of us. If you're not saved this morning, if you're not a child of God, if you don't know heaven's your home, you know what God wants of you this morning? To get saved. He's not willing that you perish. The Bible says that. He's not willing that anybody perish. But that all come to repentance. He said, you're headed down a track and you're not going to like the end of it. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And you can get saved this morning. If you're saved, you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to be faithful in what the Word of God tells you to do. Not just, not just looking good on the outside, but being faithful. Being people of character. That means when nobody, young people and, and adults and moms and dads and grandma and grandpas, all of us. When nobody's looking, we still do what's right. That means when we're alone... And the devil's whispering in our ear that we still do what's right because we said we're people of character before Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're guilty this morning. Yeah, we could all raise our hands. We're guilty because we're sinners. That's right. Yeah, come on now. Let's be people of character once again. We've lost that in America today. It used to be that we were people of character. That you knew that you could leave your doors unlocked this morning and come to church because people were character. And if for some reason they found a, a door unlocked, they wouldn't take something that didn't belong to them because they were people of character. We can't, we can't count on that. We can't bank on that anymore. We can't even count on that amongst the ranks of Christians. 
So many Christians stealing from their employers, stealing from the church house, stealing from God, and stealing from the government. We can't trust people anymore because we don't want people of character. Did you just say stealing from the government? I did. Because God says for us to abide by the government that he's given. Give unto Caesar what's Caesar's. Amen? Yeah. And when nobody's looking, well, nobody will find out and I can do this thing and I can do that thing. And it'll be all A-OK. Not before God, it ain't. Because he's the one watching. And I got I, I to gotta stand before him. Amen? I can't believe you just said that. Do you know what the government's doing with our money? Yeah. But that doesn't make, give me the ability to defy my God and what he told me to do. It doesn't give me the ability to not be a man of character and do what I'm supposed to do. Come on now. That's right. We quit getting excited and we're talking about paying our taxes, don't we? I didn't mean to preach on paying taxes today, but maybe we ought to park there for a little bit. Bless God, I'm an American. I have the ability to pay taxes. That's it. I ought to be thankful for that. Amen? Woo! I could be out on the street, poor, not making any money, and I wouldn't be able to pay taxes. Bless God, God's blessed me, and I get to pay some taxes. Praise the Lord for that. Don't you follow these people and they... they, I've heard... Listen, I have sat and listened to a man preach from the pulpit... And went to jail for not paying his taxes. I'm like, Where, what are you doing? It's crazy. Now, I didn't mean to preach on that. Let's get off of that. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Lord's moving us on. Listen. Let's do what's right. And let's do what pleases the Lord. What's expected, what's in his mind, what is necessary and expected from the law and word of God. And what's in his heart and what he wants of me. What that is, is what, honestly, what that is, is knowing the word of God, yes. I preached about that last week. Being in the word of God, knowing the word of God. Let's quit getting away from this book. But it's also a spirit of humility. Saint Lord, here I am. What do you want of me today? What do you want from me today? Lord, you own these lips and this tongue. Whatever comes out of here, may it please you. And if it doesn't, would you prick my heart and help me to know it and change it immediately? Because I desire to please you. I want to know what's in the heart of my God. Lord, that this mind right here, that these thoughts right here would be pleasing in your sight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Yes? That's scripture right there. Yeah. That Lord, whatever comes through this mind, that it would please you. And if it doesn't, that you would convict me and show me and make me, help me to change it immediately. That's what walking in the Spirit's all about. 
That's what walking in the Spirit's all about. Lord, that you would have control of me, that you would be, you would be the one that this is all about, that it's not what I feel and what I, what I think is right, but Lord God, whatever you want. We stand in front of the mirror in the morning. God, does this please you? I don't care if you're a man or a woman. God, does this please you? The way that I look, the way that I go to church this morning, does this honor you? Or does this honor me? Help me, Lord, to know what's in your heart. And help me to please you. When I turn that radio on, help me, Lord, know what pleases you. Show me. I desire to know my God. I wonder, is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? Do you desire to please your Savior? Do you know the heart of God? Let's bow together, please. Lord, thank you for the message of the hour that you prepared. God, I pray, please, that we as your people this morning. Lord, of course you want us to do right. Of course you want us to follow the word of God and to be people of the word that know what is right and do what is expected. God, I pray that we would go beyond that and we would understand what the heart of God is for my life. What God wants of me. Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning that is not saved and they don't know about being a child of God and they don't know about heaven and they've never made that choice. I pray, Lord, please, this morning that you would give them the courage to come and say, I need to get saved. Lord, the Bible says the angels rejoice in heaven when the sinner comes to repentance. When, when people come and get saved, we can rejoice together. But Lord, we would also rejoice in those that are saved coming to get right with God. Lord, you put a spirit, uh, a, 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 a thought of revival in my heart over these messages the last several weeks. Lord, I can't help but think you desire for me as the pastor to have revival in my own personal life. That God, I can't help but think you want me to have revival. Lord, you want our church, our, not, not just that, but Lord, our staff and, and, and our deacons and our, our church membership to have revival this Christmas season. That Lord, it wouldn't be all about me and my flesh, but it would all be about you, Lord. What does my God want of me? Lord, help me, please, to know your heart and to please you this morning. Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for the message. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, the altar's already being used. I wonder this morning, someone.